millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, January 24th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, black state senators walk out over a bill aimed at banning so-called critical race theory. Then the city of Jackson grieves hundreds of lives lost to gun violence during the COVID-19 pandemic. And a Mississippi OBGYN talks COVID and vaccines. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Before the state Senate could vote on an anti-critical race theory bill, all members of the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus walked out of the chamber in protest. As MPB's Kobe Vance reports, they say the bill could hurt hundreds, or rather, could hurt efforts to teach racial history. Lawmakers are debating Senate Bill 2113, titled Critical Race Theory Prohibit. While the bill does not explicitly prohibit the theory, it would add limits on how race and racism can be discussed in all Mississippi schools, colleges, and universities. Why is this bill needed? I had so many constituents in, in my district that were concerned over uh, the teachings that they have heard from around the country. They wanted to make sure that this was not going to be a problem in Mississippi. Republican Senator Michael McClendon authored the bill and says it would specifically prevent teaching in schools that any sex, race, ethnicity, or religion is superior or inferior to others. During the debate, Democratic legislators raised concerns that the bill would infringe on efforts to teach Mississippi's complex racial history. Republican Senator Chris McDaniel defended the bill before the final vote. This bill does nothing to prohibit the teaching of what was, the objective facts of what was. What it does attempt to do is to make sure that children by the plain language of the bill, aren't told they're inferior. As lawmakers began to vote on the bill, all 14 black members of the delegation left the chamber in protest. Despite this, the bill passed with a vote of 32 to 2. Democratic Senator Derek Simmons joined in the walkout. It's important that our children know the facts about Mississippi's dark past. Uh, History is history, and the facts should be told. And I'm afraid that teachers will be afraid to continue to teach the history in the state of Mississippi. Simmons says debating this bill was a waste of time when there are dozens of other issues that must be addressed during the state's 90-day legislative session. Kobe Vance, MPB News. Coming up, a look at gun violence in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, Mississippi has been rocked by escalating rates of gun violence. The capital city of Jackson has seen nearly 300 homicides in the past two years alone. Lorenzo Neal is pastor of New Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Jackson and part of a national advocacy group called Every Town for Gun Safety. He speaks with MPB's Rob Lane. I lost um, one of my young members to gun violence early last year, 2021, and several community members, neighbors, and I do mean literally neighbors, around the corner, up the street, to gun violence, all during this time of the pandemic. And I've also had plenty of broader community members that I've had to interact with who have been negatively impacted by gun violence, you know, losing a loved one, especially when it's a child, um, uh, young teenagers, and even young adults with promising futures. It, it, it's very troubling. But even even amidst all of that, not just the gun violence, but also, you know, the other violent in, uh, incidents and uh, crime that's been happening, it, it's, it's, it seems to be far worse than what it is. And there's still so much positive movement happening in Jackson that is raising up to uh, prevent all of this gun violence and violent crime across the board. Before we dig a little deeper into that, I just want to ask if you're comfortable sharing. My understanding is as a child, you were also very personally impacted by gun violence um, within your family. Are you you able to share about that? Sure. In 1980, I lost my 25-year-old mother, Sharon Neal, to gun violence and act of domestic violence. She was 25 years old. She had four boys, of which I am one. Um, we have three surviving siblings. But, um, yeah, she, just think about how young she was, how young. I was only five years old when that happened. We were fortunate that her family, her parents, my grandparents raised us as their own children. <laughs> so for the longest time, you know, my my aunts were my sisters and my uncles brothers but but we had a we had a wonderful family connection that um I didn't have a lot of the trauma some some survivors had but also my nephew Kevin Neal Jr was also killed in an act of gun violence in Hampton Virginia and that was in 2016 and in 2008 I lost uh a student I was teaching, I was a band director, I lost a student to gun violence in an um, accidental shooting, unintentional shooting, just a little eighth grade student. So I've been impacted by gun violence in that particular capacity. But also, and I, I share this too, one of my colleagues in ministry was the pastor of Mother Emmanuel Amy Church in Charleston. And of course, in 2015, he and Seven other of his uh, eight of his parishioners lost their lives in um, a tragic, uh, tragic shooting. That's 
why I do the work that I do. In recent years, Mayor Lumumba in Jackson has moved to try to prohibit open carry of weapons. So far, he has been unable to sustain such a ban over a long period of time. How would you assess the work he has done, and is there more he can be doing? Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to um, open carry, that because that's a legislative issue, you know, he there's not much he can do to enforce that. I think his intentions are well. And um, he's doing a wonderful job as far as I can see any legislator or executive is limited in their, you know, in their capacity to really ensure full safety. And he himself being a uh, person who has been impacted by gun violence, he he understands, you know, again, uh, most of what we see is preventable and we need more help from the state legislature to see it in that in that way. But if gun control is only one piece of the puzzle here, what else can be done socioeconomically or otherwise? First, first, we need not use the word gun control. I'm a gun owner. I don't want anyone controlling my guns. What we need is common sense gun legislation. What we have to do is make sure that we have um, not just laws on the book, but we have persons who are gun owners like myself be responsible gun owners and to be more informed about what's happening in in our communities when it comes to gun legislation. Now, Mississippi does have the some legislation that I, I'm all for, such as, you know, preventing felons from having access to weapons, even though, you know, they can still, unfortunately, somehow they get it. Um, there are other things that we can we can do that can be preventative. And that's what we should be encouraging our every citizen of Mississippi, not just the ones who have been impacted by gun violence, not those who identify as survivors of gun violence, but every citizen, because it impacts them, not just uh, statistically, but it impacts them financially. It impacts them across the board. And that's the message we have to give out to help them see the need to create an environment that is more proactive and preventative when it comes to gun violence. So you're a gun owner. I, I suspect you're one of a, a pretty large number of Mississippians who who do own one or more guns but are concerned about gun violence. Within a state like Mississippi that has a, a strong culture of gun ownership, how do you balance that with getting out this message that uh, as you say, certain common sense restrictions on firearms are necessary here. Not restrictions. Uh, again, you know, we we have to get rid of the language. Well, again, I mean, now, we can we can play with the language, but for example, you you believe it's common sense that a felon should not be able to own a firearm. That is in a in a very literal sense a restriction, right? Well, yes. But when you you know when you present that word to an average person here in Mississippi, that automatically that's triggering. <laughs> you know they're like, oh, they're coming from a gun, and, and and that's the way it's been pre- presented. And and we just have to you know like you say, play with the language. It's shifting the way we uh, the imagery of gun gun ownership for one, uh, for for example, um, helping people recognize that. Um, 
a lot of African Americans are gun owners and they're responsible gun owners, while at the same time recognizing that much of the gun violence occurs in that same uh, minority population. But you, you know, you have to you have to address it right on by saying yes, this is facts, these are statistics, but at the same time, this is the way that we can counter those negative imagery, negative statistics, and all of that. And it's being done, little by little, it's being done. The other thing is getting legislators, and that's this is the key thing, getting legislators to understand that, well, they could be pro-Second Amendment, to also understand the value of implementing and presenting legislation that will enhance the lives of their citizens. And this is what we as gun violence prevention advocates do. We want every person in Mississippi to feel safe. We want every person, whether they're a gun owner or a non-gun owner, to feel as they walk in the city, especially capital city here, as they walk wherever they walk, that they are safe and that the persons who have weapons in their home are responsible enough to not only maintain them and secure them out of the hands of their children and other persons who should not have them, but that um, our legislators, as you say, as you said, are making sure that we're presenting legislation, passing legislation that benefits all citizens and ensures their safety. Lorenzo Neal is pastor of New Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Jackson. Coming up, we talk COVID and vaccines with the University of Mississippi Medical Center's top maternal fetal doctor. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi has made progress in its COVID-19 vaccination rate over the past several months. But even now, more than a year after vaccines first became available, fewer than half of the state's residents are fully immunized. Vaccine shots are spotty amongst one group of Mississippians especially vulnerable to COVID, pregnant women. Dr. Michelle Owens is chief of maternal fetal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. What we've noticed is that while there has been a relatively good uptake of vaccinations across our state, in our pregnant population, we have not had, we've not seen the same results. So we oftentimes have households where the pregnant mother is the only person in the house who's not vaccinated. There is, um, I think, a lot of concern. There's been a lot of misinformation, um, and a lot of women have been reluctant to receive the vaccine. What do you say to them to try and convince them that it's safe to do so? 
Well, I think the first thing that I always ask is kind of what the reasoning is or why they haven't been vaccinated. Um, And one of the things that I'm finding is that there are a lot of concerns. People are unaware about whether or not the vaccine actually could have an impact on their pregnancy. Um, So the first thing that we like to tell them is that, number one, it's safe and effective. Um, There are plenty of women who have been vaccinated and that information is readily available. And we're not seeing any increase in um, adverse outcomes in women who receive the vaccine. We know that there are some positive benefits of vaccination when it comes to pregnancy. Um, The protective antibodies have actually been shown to provide additional layer of protection for babies and also for women who are breastfeeding. Um, Another thing is that there's some reluctance based on a concern about fertility, and people believe that the vaccine has a negative impact on fertility or might render them infertile. And that is just simply not true. It is misinformation. There is no evidence to support that the vaccine um, causes infertility. Um, And as a matter of fact, it can be life-saving to give you an opportunity to continue to plan your family. Are you able to convince any women to go ahead and get the vaccine? Well, so we are making slow, steady progress. I think one of the most important things that we can do is just ask the question. So we are asking every woman every time, um, and we are continuing to give them information. There is nothing in the vaccine that actually gets to the baby. Um, And so I think once women know that, um, then they feel a lot more comfortable with being able to go ahead and get the vaccine and the protection that it, it confers. Mississippi has a high maternal mortality rate, high teen pregnancy, um, high low birth weight babies. How does that square with this for you? Well, so as a person who has been providing care to the women of Mississippi for the past 18 years, hearing those numbers, seeing those statistics, while they are disheartening, um, it is even more personal for me because those patients are actually people who I have seen and connected and care for. Um, I feel, feel very strongly um, about this the, this community, our state, and the mothers in our state, and um, I feel like we should be doing everything that we possibly can to give women good information, to give families good information so that they can be empowered to do the right things um, and also to do the things that put them in the best position to be healthy because the health, a healthy mom is the best way to get a healthy baby. And that's really the cornerstone of our family, of the Mississippi family. We were hearing during the Delta variant when it was the prominent one that pregnant women were dying at a higher rate. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. So we definitely saw that. Um, Delta, The Delta variant was definitely different um, when we compared it to the other variants that we've seen. And we've even seen that Delta still remains very different and distinct from the Omicron variant. We had a much more aggressive variant with Delta than we've seen with the Omicron variant and even than what we saw in, in the first wave. Fortunately, while we are continuing to still see very high numbers of infection rates, the morbidity overall, like the sickness, the level of illness has not been as great um, with the Omicron variant as it was for Delta. And fortunately, the maternal death rates, the mortality rates have not been as high with Omicron variant as what we saw with Delta. Um, 
I know that Delta's not entirely gone away. Um, and because of what we experienced with such a high number of deaths in such a short period of time, I'm still very concerned about doing everything we can to protect our pregnant women from the from any variant. Um, but it is much better, at least from what we're seeing on the hospital side. Um, we're not seeing the same level of, of death and destruction that we saw with that Delta variant. Last question. In your opinion, why is it that it seems that pregnant women would be more willing to listen to misinformation or take information from Facebook or family instead of a licensed doctor? Well, so I think that's a very that's a great question. Um, I I don't think that it's any different than it is with anything else. I think it's been amplified because of COVID. Um, but I think that pregnant women are, I mean, they are in a situation where there's a lot of concern and a lot of fear. Um, you are growing another person inside and all of a sudden everything that you do is seen through the lens of you as a free operating human being and this this person that you're growing inside of you who's totally dependent upon everything that you do. So everything is scrutinized. Um, pregnant women get all these messages before you do anything, talk to a doctor. So it stands to reason that they would be very concerned or very apprehensive about doing pretty much anything. I mean, those of us who take care of pregnant women know that they call and ask about everything. They can't take, they, they worry about taking anything except Tylenol. Um, and so when those are the messages that we send to pregnant women, I think that it stands to reason that they would have concerns about anything that is new or anything that could potentially be viewed as untested or unsafe. Um, but again, that's why we've been messaging that the vaccine is, is safe, effective, and it has been, and it's approved. So it's been tested and there's plenty of information that's out there that's good, solid scientific information that shows that it decreases the likelihood that you will become hospitalized or die. And in so doing is very important when you consider protection of yourself and also for your baby because our death rates, our infant death rates, fetal death rates rather, are increased um, with COVID, and that's been released from the CDC and has also been, you know, publicized here within the state. So that is definitely a reasonable choice to make um, if you are trying to make sure that you're going to do everything you can to protect yourself against the virus. Dr. Michelle Owens, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past broadcasts of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition on MPB. Be Think Radio. Have a good day.